Imagine if each morning when you wake up, you're smiling and looking forward to your day, knowing you are happy even while you're dealing with grief and loss. The Grief and Happiness Podcasts inspires, comforts, and supports you with each new episode. I'm Emily Zerothret, welcoming you to explore with me your life of endless possibilities. Aloha. I'm so happy you've joined us here today for this very special podcast where I have two guests instead of one. And I, I'm just tickled to have these people here because they wrote this book together that is quite amazing. Uh, the discoveries that they had with each other, it just, I, it kind of blew me away as I was reading it. And I'm sure it will you too. So I, I hope that you'll, you'll read it also. And I'd like to introduce you to them. It is uh, Dave Roberts and Patty Fiorino, and they are going to introduce themselves to you, and then we're going to have a conversation about the book. So, Dave, could you go first, please? Yes, Emily. First of all, thank you for uh, having both Patty and I on your podcast. We've been looking forward to this since since we scheduled it. So, again, thank you for uh, making time for us and to let us share our story. My name is Dave Roberts. Um, I'm an adjunct professor of psychology and psychology or psychology child life at Utica University, where I teach two teach courses, but in particular two, the care of the human spirit and death, dying, and bereavement. I'm a retired addictions counselor, bereavement support specialist, and I'm a parent who's had an adult child transitioned from the physical body into the uh, spiritual world. Um, my daughter Janine transitioned at the age of 18 on March 1st, uh, 2003. So I've walked the path of a parent with a, a transition child for over 20 years. I've done workshops, I've done presentations, and I've helped plan conferences. And that's how I met Reverend Patty Farino through pure serendipity. Um, I was organizing a conference called Beyond Words or helping organize a conference. I was on a conference committee called uh, Beyond Words and organizing a conference called Beyond Words, Creative Ways to, to Work Through Grief. And again, that's not the exact title, but that's the gist of it. Patty called me. It was August. The day was August 25th, 2010. Uh, she had attempted to register online for the conference. She had all of her workshops picked out, her payment information all set to go. She had the click button, the screen went blank. And later we had determined it was Spirit's way of getting us together initially, because that may not have happened had her, her computer screen just totally blanked out. But fortunately, she had my phone number. She called. We did the registration over the phone. And then we had about a 45-minute conversation where during the conversation, I asked her if she had experienced the, uh, the death of a child. And she had said no, but she told me about her ministry work with the Angel of Hope in Long Island, where she had worked with parents who had whose children had transitioned, trying to offer them a, a new perspective and peace, and a peaceful perspective as well. And, but she also told me about a couple of children who she'd become really close to who had transitioned and um, who had left permanent imprints on her heart. So we 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 talked for that from that perspective for a little bit, and um, she had asked me during the conversation. She goes, "Do you believe in signs?" 
And with my science-based background and in real-world orientation, I said, you know, I really can't align with that. But I think last year, my daughter sent me a double rainbow for Father's Day. Um, so we had talked about that. And also prior to that, and I, as I look at that, there were other things that had happened that science could not explain, but I didn't know how to integrate that with my 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 science-based background. I, did, I just didn't know what to do with that. So... We left the conversation, Patty. I told Patty, I said, if I, when I, if I see you at Beyond Words, I said, I'm going to give you a great big bear hug. And sure enough, she was in the last workshop of the day that I was monitoring. Patty had given me a description of her. And I looked at her. She was right across from me. I said, Patty Farino? She goes, yeah. And I said, I'm Dave Roberts. I'm going to give you that bear hug. And then all of a sudden, she said to me, she goes, you know, I think your daughter sent me a rainbow. And I'm thinking to myself, okay, that's great. I, I was tired, exhausted from the conference, and I, I I didn't really engage with that. I just said, yeah, okay. And um, that was it. And that's exit. I'm going to let Patty take it from there because that, that's, that's kind of where we, I'm going to let her take the rainbow part. I'm going to let her take that from there, and then we'll, I'll jump back in. So go ahead, Pat. Hi, my name is Reverend Patty Farino. I um, went to a seminary in New York City, City called the New Seminary back in the 1990s. I, as a child, had connections. Um, I had my spirit friends. I had Jesus was very real to me. He wasn't just somebody that I read about through my Catholicism. He was a real spirit friend, my imaginary friend. And I had two bold um, to bold men in robes that I now know were Buddhist monks that would come to me. And then I had these Native American old men. Um, I call them my old Indian friends because they were all wrinkled and everything. And they would always be in my head and they would talk to me and they would offer me wisdom, advice for the dynamics going on in my home. So, and I would always have things happen that were unexplainable. Um, when my grandmother passed, at her funeral mass, I actually heard her voice and she had given me a message for my mother. I was a child and my mother just patted me on the head, thought I was cute. I would sit in my living room and I would rock back and forth. And that would kind of take me off into my head to hear my spirit friends. My family thought I looked um, disturbed. Uh, in this day and age, they would think I would look autistic, but I would literally rock back and forth. But that helped me to remove myself from the dynamics of the room and allowed me to hear the voices clearly. And they had told me that, you know, I had to be careful. People would start to look at me differently. As a matter of fact, one day my mom referred to me in introducing me to a guest in our home. She referred to me as uh, being mentally retarded. I didn't know what it meant. It was back in the 60s. I was a child. And to me, you know, it, it, it had no meaning. But the Native American said, oh, you have to be careful. If you're not careful, they're going to put you in a place called a sanitarium. I didn't know that word either. I was still a child. So I started to hide desperately all of my conversations. I would lock myself in the room, put on the music and rock back and forth. As soon as I'd hear the doorknob, I'd stop and I'd look at attention. I never talked about it with anybody. And then years later, when I was um, 16, I had a surgery on my head. I'd had a disease called colosteotoma. 
that was um, started in my ear and was spreading into my facial nerves. And it was an extensive surgery. And after the surgery, I had had a situation where I choked. And the next thing I knew, I wasn't in the hospital room anymore. I was a part of life. I was looking down on myself. And there was a beautiful woman there. And as I'd mentioned before, I'm Catholic. So that beautiful woman to me was Mary, the Blessed Mother. It was natural for me to say, Mary, I'm here. My mother is screaming for my boyfriend at the time to go get a nurse. And he was standing there. I I was recognizing the situation in the, the hospital room while simultaneously conversing with this beautiful woman, how I wanted to stay. It, my mind's expansion and my consciousness was so vast that I could understand what was happening there while being with her. And all of this information was running into my head. And I wanted to stay because that space was perfection of unconditional love. People will refer to it as heaven, as the other side. It, it was just absolute perfection of love. And I wanted to stay there. But the beautiful woman said, no, you need to go back. There's much more you have to do. Well, when I came back, I mentioned it to my boyfriend that I saw everything that had happened. Why didn't you run and get a nurse when my mother was yelling at you? And he just laughed at me and said, oh, that's some sort of consciousness thing going on. And when he laughed at me, I never talked about it again until I met my husband. Um, That had happened in the 1970s, that surgery. And I met my husband in 1981 and I trusted him. And when I shared it with him, he is the one, the first one that said, that's an out of body. You must have died in that room and your consciousness had crossed over. And we talked about it at different occasions. And there always seemed to be some kind of a mentor that showed up in my life that would tell me that I wasn't crazy that it was something greater and beyond, that it was something of spirit form, that it was something greater than what the human experience normally has, because this is the 70s. And there wasn't a lot of understanding. There was something called ESP, extrasensory perception. But there wasn't a lot that I could find in my local library um, on out-of-body experiences. In fact, the only person in my library at the time was Edgar Casey. There were no other books. And I came from a town with a pretty large library. But I read every book Jane Roberts had written on Seth Speaks and Edgar Casey, uh, everything that I could get my hands on. But I wanted to know more. And one of my mentors suggested that I go to the new seminary. It would give me an understanding of how other faiths see crossing, see what spirituality is. So in 1996, I started at the new seminary. I was ordained an interfaith minister in uh, June of 1998. And I, with that, I didn't want to become anything. The world was still not ready for spirituality. So after I was ordained, I would just sit when my daughter would go off to school, my husband would go to work, I would get my early morning chores done, and then I would go into meditations. And I would go and I would listen and I would hear things. I would see things. I would have a better understanding about our existence on this planet. 
But I was still just what I would call a simple housewife on the corner of Hunter and Whittier. I didn't want people to know. It was something that was my private relationship. I didn't even really share it much with my husband because it was really about my, my sacred space. And at that time, I wasn't interested in sharing it with anybody else. But when things would happen, if I was nudged by spirit to share what I was feeling, I would. On this particular day, um, August 25th, as David had said, um, I was signing up. And in our conversation, I always ask people, what signs? Because one thing I come to realize is if I were to cross, if my body stopped working and I no longer had a breath and I was in spirit form, I would want to send a sign to my loved ones. I would want them to know I'm okay and I'm watching over, especially in that first year. I would do everything I could. And along with that would be an energy of love. So I always ask people, do you have a sign? Did you get a sign? And David had shared with me about this double rainbow. After that August 25th, September 3rd, was my husband and my anniversary. And we were driving upstate. I had had a doctor's appointment for my ear, still had, you know, work going on all those years later. And I'd actually had a second surgery after that. I, I had quite a bit going on. <laughs> and on this trip, I got upstate and my ear was really hurting because he had cauterized it. I said to my husband, we have to go back home. He had sent me medicine. I, I can't do this upstate. We have to go home. As we turned around and went back down, we're on Route 17 going south and a rainbow bright as day goes across the sky. My husband's very scientific and he's sitting, there's a rat, look at this rainbow. This doesn't make sense. This there's no moisture in the sky, but there's a beautiful, perfect rainbow. I was hearing in my head, I need you to talk to my father. I need you to give him a message from me. And I asked this spirit, who's your father? This is the man you spoke to the other day, the man from the conference. Meanwhile, my husband's pulled over on the side of Route 17, and he's like, we have to take video of this. This is amazing. We still have the video, and I think we actually posted it up on our website. And so when I met David, I embraced him, and I said, your daughter, I believe your daughter sent me a rainbow. And he, like he said, he just smiled, and yes, that's nice and wonderful. But what ended up happening is I said to him at the end of the day, if you ever come to Long Island, look me up. I want to show you my Long Island. Lo and behold, later that day, or later that weekend, David had taken a couple of the presenters from the conference to upstate. Where was it, David? Old, Old Forge, which is about an hour and a half in the Adirondacks. And Emily, it's very scenic where I am in upstate New York. And if you go about an hour and a half north, especially during the fall, you can see the change of colors. It looks like a brilliant oil painting with all the colors, mm -hmm. the vividness. It would almost be like a vision of what life would be like in another dimension on the other side. Wow. Mm -hmm. And um, David was on this drive with them, and he, get, he got an, a notification on his phone. Mm -hmm. He looked down. And one of his uh, associates, uh, somebody that he had done um, some work with, 
was uh, announcing that he was doing Embracing the Power of Change workshop on Long Island. Interestingly enough, David thought, hmm, I, I'm going to look into this. So David decided he wanted to go and support his colleague. And he called me and he said, you know, hi, this is Dave Roberts. And um, there, there's a conference that's going to be on Long Island. And you said that if I were going to be going down there to look you up. But I was wondering if you could help me, you know, find where would be a good place to stay. I don't know anything about Long Island and was wondering, you know, this is where it's going to be held. And could you suggest a place that would be reasonably priced to stay at? I said, you're not going to stay there. You're going to stay at my home. And as a matter of fact, I'm working on that project. <laughs> he had no idea, but it was through the angel of hope. They were sponsoring this man's embracing the power of change. I said, you can come and stay with me. And I knew immediately that there was a purpose for him to come and stay. So I worked it out with David that I was going to pick him up at the airport. And I was, it, it was magical from step number one. The day that I was going to pick him up from the airport, I left early because I was going to do an errand. As I got to the light by my house, my intuition said, no, you need to go directly to the airport. Well, that's 40, you know, it's, it's an hour's ride and I'm leaving 45 minutes early. I'm going to be sitting at the airport, but I've learned to trust my intuition. So I went directly to the airport. Um, I have the silliness that I always like to park on the top of every parking garage. I just like to park at the top, like to be in the open air. And I pull into the spot, shut the car off. My cell phone rings. Hi, Pat, it's David. Our plane landed 45 minutes early. <laughs> and it did. Yeah. The beginning wow. of the magic. <laughs> and, and coming into New York, no planes usually land early. That's a known fact. <laughs> the other thing that had happened my friends were having, or colleagues' friends were having a really, really intense conversation about all things spiritual, about death, about life, about life after death, the survival of consciousness. And just before embracing the power of change, that notification came on my phone. I looked up at the sky and said to no one in particular, I want to be where they are. And at the time, all I wanted was to, to have more, I guess, knowledge about spirituality to help me take the next step in, in my journey. My soul was crying out for what my mind and body didn't know it needed yet. And I also learned at that time, Emily, about the power of intention is if you state an intention to the universe, the universe is going to conspire in whatever way possible to make that happen. And what happened, not only did I get more of an understanding of how spirituality and psychology could kind of coexist. I got a whole new perspective when I went to Long Island and and was in, in, in the presence of Pat for that weekend. I learned very strongly and I began to believe very strongly that our consciousness does survive long after our physical body is done functioning. And that was to me a revelation and, and I continued to build on that. And every time I hear Patty also mention, after, you know, in the process of seeing that rainbow and hearing my daughter's voice in her head saying, I need you to talk to my father, I always get emotional whenever I hear that. And in fact, when I read that part in the book, I get emotional because one of the things that I, and, and Pat and I talked about this 
ad infinitum was the guilt that I had felt after my daughter's transition, feeling that as her father, I couldn't protect her from what she had. And I should have done more. I should have convinced her to do one more clinical trial. I should have seen the symptoms of her very rare uh, connective muscle tissue sarcoma sooner. But what I also realized in discussions with Pat and, and having an opportunity to do my own reflection, which she always encouraged me to do, was that we live on our own terms and we die or transition on our own terms. My daughter wasn't going to have a clinical trial. She wanted to be with her family. She wanted to be with her significant other and her child who was born three, who was born on, on May 2nd, 2002, three weeks prior to her cancer diagnosis. She wanted to be at home to spend as much time as she could with, with her family. And she taught me, we live on our own terms. We transition on our own terms. And that, and along with the work that, that I did with Pat, um, helped me realize that I did the best that I could given the hand of cards that were dealt and that I had nothing to feel guilty about. David did a lot of work and that's basically what had happened is when he came to my home that weekend, we, we went to the conference, the workshop. And when we got back to the house, I just said, you know, make yourself comfortable. And I went into the room and I got changed. And while I was getting changed, I said a prayer to his daughter. And I just said, I'm here. I'm available. Your father is here. You know what he needs in order to know you're really here. I don't know what to be said, what can be said to convince him of your presence. So you know what I can do. I give myself up to you to utilize for your father so that he can find peace. Then I walk into the room and all of a sudden a sense about me. And and I've had this happen before. I I felt like I was 18. (laughs) I sat down on the couch crossed my legs, sat in front of him and just said, so let's get acquainted. And I, but the whole demeanor about me changed. I felt like goofy and sarcastic. I'm not a very sarcastic person. I I don't use sarcasm. I, I tend to be gentle, but I just started chatting with him saying, so why don't you listen to music anymore? Why don't you do this? You know, you know, what's that? And words just started popping out of me. And, and David was just looking and, and answering the questions, having this conversation literally with his daughter. And at one point, I remember sitting there looking at him and, and thinking, like, why does he know it's her? Can he actually see the essence of her form in me? And he actually turned at one point and said, Janine? That's when I knew that the spirit can actually utilize a human form when they've transitioned on. If you allow a spirit to come in and learn, I've learned to put my consciousness back, like shift it back so that somebody else can use the form. And I just let the thoughts run through and she had a whole conversation with him that weekend. She, in fact, kept popping in and out throughout the weekend with her little sarcastic ways. And and David would just laugh and I would laugh. Um, it, it's 
it's a hard thing to experience um, afterwards you become drained because that's two spirits, two forms of energy utilizing one form. And it is taxing, but it's also a gift to have the energy of an 18-year-old talking to their father, helping him to understand that she's transitioned, that she's not gone from this life, that she's not gone from her mother's presence, that she's still watching over. She's watching over her daughter and she's in a place of pure love. And that's something that I understand about because of my experience of that transitioning moment back when I was 16 and with all of the meditations. And that's why I always say to people, you think about what is it you believe happens to you when your body is no longer working. People get caught in the the loss of a loved one and the fact that they're not there anymore in the physical form. But if they can create a new relationship based on love, that entity, that spirit of that person is never gone. So beautiful. And it's something, one of the questions that may come to your to your, your audience's mind is, did I believe what I was saying? And I absolutely did because I had asked for it. I go back to that, the trip that we made to Old Forge, and I said, I want to be where they are. And I not only was where they were, I was at, a, at another stratosphere in terms of where they were, because that whole weekend led to our ongoing marathon conversations about a variety of different things. I wanted to know more. Patty would give me a tool, whether it be Jamie Sams and Ted Andrews work with Native American teachings of animals or medicine, or some teachings from Ram Das, or you know, we would we would embrace everything. And I my scientific curiosity kicked in and said, okay, how can I add to my existing belief system? Not substitute, not instead of, but how can I expand my belief system to allow me to continue to find peace and to share, be able to share that perspective for others who are looking to find peace. So that just got us on a, a series of marathon conversations that led to a whole bunch of different revelations for me and healing at a variety of different levels for me. Mm-hmm. What was wonderful is I was coming from a spiritual point of view. My studies were about diving in to different religions and different ways and perspectives to seeing life and death and what the purpose of life is. And David was coming from a psychological standpoint of let's analyze, let's think about what all of this means. So together, what we called our marathon conversations, we would be on the phone for three hours a night just chatting. Spirits would come through and they would intrigue David and David would go back and he would start to look through the psychology and through the, the textbooks and he would come back to me the next day. You know, I was looking this up and this makes sense. I had um, taken classes, spiritual psychology classes, learned about Thomas Fora, learned uh, Freud. You, you start to understand that the psychology and the spirituality can intertwine. It's about us looking deeper to decide what it is we believe. And it's not, when you're learning something new, it's not instead of, it's always in addition to. That's, that's a big key that we tried to get across. And, and using critical thinking, people nowadays have to really, we have access to so much information. 
instead of just watching an internet and saying, oh, that's how I believe, use your critical thinking and decide for yourself, what is it I believe with this new piece of information? And that's what David did. And he kept saying with his students that, you know, he would um, talk to them about his experience, how it transformed his whole thinking because of an, um, meeting me. And I didn't push anything. I always wanted it to be his decision because there's so many ways to look at life, to look at the spirit, to look at um, how you want to walk your religion, whether it be Christianity, whether it be Buddhism. There are so many ways to connect to the source greater than the self. And I just, my walk is to try to help people discover their own path. So the first part of our book um, that we wrote together, David always wanted to write it so it would be accessible to his students. Um, so the first part was just our story of how we met. The second section was samplings of our um, marathon conversations. And the third section is for present and future generations. How to expand their thinking and use critical thinking to decide really what it is they believe. It's so amazing. I think critical thinking is something we're very short on now. And people don't even realize it. When I, I first started teaching at the university, I was teaching writing. And I they had me teach the students who probably shouldn't have been admitted to the university based on their academic background and were really wow. struggling. And so they they said, you you have to teach critical thinking along with that. Well, I never had a class in critical thinking. I didn't even know what they were talking about. But I discovered the more that I found out about critical thinking and introduced them to it, I could I could see them opening up. They'd be changed by the the time the the term school yes. turned in because they they'd never thought about it. They'd never taken the time to examine anything before. Yeah, yeah. And that's part of a better generation. I think that's what's wonderful. These generations didn't have access. No generation before had access to information because of this little thing. Mm -hmm. <laughs> a phone. You could be standing anywhere and you're having a conversation and you don't know, oh, what that religious belief is. You pick up your phone, type in, and your answer is right there. It's amazing how much information is available to this generation, but that they take it all in without deciding what it is they believe. Mm -hmm. now, I, I know I've, I've had conversations with students in particular who I, I tell them their issue is they need to get out of their own way because they've got all mm -hmm. this stuff built up of I can't do that because and instead mm -hmm. of seeing anything else there they've been told so much through their life that you can't do this you can't do that and, and they get stuck in that and the more we would talk about that in class and this is this is a writing teacher you know <laughs> wasn't in a psychology <laughs> class but the more we talk mm -hmm. about it in class the better their writing got because yeah. they started realizing they could write things down that they had never considered talking about out loud before. Yes. And, you know, the other thing I think, 
that makes students sometimes, I think, Emily, hesitate to embrace critical thinking is past history that they've had with other professors who, when they've tried to ask them questions, other professors would shut that down and say, no, we don't have time for that. And I'm thinking to myself, well, yeah, I mean, what's how do we develop critical thinking when students, if we don't allow them to ask questions about things that I'm presenting that may not resonate with them or that they have questions about? You know, how 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 can we, you know, that, that's got to happen. And and I acknowledge that with the students. You know, we bring our histories into any interaction. And I, I try to tell them, throw past history out the window with me and just understand that this is a place where we can explore. It's not only, you know, we learn from each other. We're all students and teachers. So, you know, let's learn from each other. And we can do that. And I impress upon them that their attendance in class is important because it deprives me of the opportunity to learn from them. And the other thing is when I talk to them about how I've integrated spirituality with psychology with and how I've learned that our consciousness has survived, how I've learned to, through Patty's help to transform the relationship with my daughter and all of my ancestors, it opens them up. I've had students come to me and say, you know, I see the same world. I see the world multidimensionally. I'm very intuitive. I, I, I see spirit. I hear, I hear, you know, you know, I hear spirit, but I've been afraid to acknowledge it before because of, of people's belief that I be would not be believed and I'd be deemed as being different. And I said, tell me your story. I mean, well, I welcome that because I want those type of individuals in my in my group because they enrich me and inspire me. And I continue to learn from that. Yes. And, and they need to tell their stories. Mm-hmm. That's, that's one of the things I'd always do with, with my writing students, and I do it now with my Grief and Happiness Alliance that meets every week uh, in gatherings to uh, help support each other in their grief, is I I have them tell their stories in so many different ways with the writing, whatever it is I ask them to do that week, and they'll they'll write, and then they get to go into breakout rooms and talk about it, and it's that, that process of discovering, oh, I thought that too, or oh, I never would have thought of that. And they, they just come out enlivened by the, the end every time because they, they're thinking in a way that they haven't allowed themselves to before about things they hadn't allowed themselves to think about. Yeah, it's not and a setup, it's an addition to. Mm-hmm. And one more thing I have to add as a former therapist, what Patty provided me was the revelations that I discovered and the insights that I discovered were probably quicker than months of therapy or years of therapy could have gotten me. And that's the other piece that that needs to be be stated is that when we embrace spiritual perspectives and we are willing to learn from those perspectives, the revelations we come to about ourselves and the world around us are greater than just doing traditional therapy. And it's quicker. And spirits yeah. involved and spirits right. involved, it, it, it really does speed up the process. That's one of the things that I learned from Thomas Laura is, you know, if therapists would let the spirit come through in a session, so much more clarity can come. Yes. Mm-hmm. Well, I, you know, I could talk to the two of you for a month. It's so easy. It's so yeah. easy. With you. It's easy. so easy. You make it so welcoming and so wonderful. And I think we have a lot in common. We all have that same idea in mind that we want to make it a better world for the next generations. Yes. It's got to change. 
there have been so many mistakes made by prior generations. And it's time for us to start seeing this earth and that we are all humans being here on this planet trying to figure out how we're going to get along. Yes, absolutely. That and how to open our eyes and our hearts because we, we've been taught to shut down as opposed to open up. Yes. And that yes. makes all the difference in the world. Yes. And, and what's going to save this planet is love. Mm-hmm. Yes, absolutely. Yeah. That's all there is. I say that all the time. Yep. That love is yep. all there is. You don't have that. Yep. You don't have anything. Absolutely. Yes. yes, it's true. Thank you so much. Thank you so much for allowing us to share just a little tidbit of our story. And to anybody that reads the book, just I, I hope that it helps you, each of you to expand your thinking and have hope. Find hope that tomorrow can be better. It can be. All you have to do is get out of your own way. Mm -hmm. <laughs> it's, it, it's all there for you. Thank wow. You. Well, I'm going to have in the show notes how that you can uh, get their book. And there are links to them so that you can stay in touch if you want to. This has just been a fabulous conversation, and I can see all different beautiful ways that we could go from here. So I encourage you this week to uh, think, <laughs> to think about what we talked about and see if there are places where you can open up that you hadn't thought about doing that before. See if you have been opening up and didn't realize you were doing that. And see where that can lead you and how much comfort it can bring to you. That, that's so important. Yes. And I will thank you both greatly. And I will see my listeners again next week. So thank you so much for listening to us. Thank you, Emily. Thank you. Thank, thank you. you very much. Do you want more comfort, support, and happiness? Join the Grief and Happiness Alliance. Visit my website at lovingandlivingyourwaythroughgrief.com and read my book, Loving and Living Your Way Through Grief. Be sure to subscribe to our podcast, rate it, review it, and binge on all our episodes on grief and happiness. I can't wait to welcome you back to another episode.